This is SciByte, episode 56, for July 31st, 2012. Hi, everyone, and welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast that comes out fresh every Wednesday morning over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Now 56 episodes old. My name is Chris, and joining us like every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Happy science to you, Heather. Happy science. What are we talking about today? Today, we're going to take a look at Olympic science, an innovative writing technique, Morse code, music, an update on the Red Bull status mission, spacecraft updates, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week. I love you've managed to work the Olympics into science. You are so relevant. It's ridiculous. Why don't we do our first news story? Sci-fi news. All right, Heather. So uh, impress me with how you've managed to tie in science with what everyone's been talking about this week? Well, there's a lot of different parts of science that actually go into it. The first one, you know, who wins the the medals? That's Mm. based in so many events based upon time. And some of these, you know, you'll see, you know, 56.002 seconds. It's measured in thousands of a second. So the clocks have to be that close. Every part of the, the race has to be that close that they can actually tell it. So there's, you know, there's... Cameras, they can take 2,000 digital frames a second, so they can use that with the timer. Um, some of these foot races, the sprinting and things like that, you know, they have the little um, the gun to start it. Mm-hmm. That's actually electronic now. So it <laughs> makes a sound, and then they hold it up, and they shoot it, and that triggers the start timer. Mm. And in addition to that, they have timers um, in the foot blocks, and they say, all right, the human body is able to respond this quickly and if you respond and if you hit the foot block before that time then the race stops and you have everybody has to start again and if you do that too many times then you're disqualified um but it's to make sure that nobody jumps the gun essentially literally in this case in the uh, enhanced version we have this uh video that heather's included and it shows like uh, this really sophisticated gear that's got like special branding on it for the olympics and it's very like very precision type equipment that they're using to measure every minute detail with like a oh, whole yeah. series of cameras and like you're saying foot sensors it it does look very complicated yeah so these these clocks have to be completely accurate completely precise you know wear upon so that each race run is the same because you're not going to get all the runners for you know a, some events at the same time mm. you're going to have two or three different batches of people mm-hmm. and so it has to be consistent so you know if the first race is 2.011 seconds, the next race has to be able to read that same number. Right. So um, in the swimming events, you have, you know, pads in the walls, you know, and then cameras under the water that are always taking these extremely, you know, 2,000 frames a second pictures. And so these combinations of things can say, all right, this is the starter. Hey, this is where somebody crossed the line. And uh, the big races... You know, like the the long distance um, runs where it's, you know, 500 people start at the same time, it seems like. Mm-hmm. What I found interesting was what they do is they actually use uh, RFIDs. 
the radio frequency identifications. They attach it to shoes or in the big bike races, they attach it to uh, bicycles. And they have uh, okay. readers. Yeah. So they can actually tell this person started here, got to this point at this time, got to this point at that time. So they can <laughs> like identify each and every person. So I was like, that is a lot of people to take a picture of. That's a, really, that's a great use of RFID for, for tracking the, the race like that at such an accurate level. Oh, yeah. like That was one of the things that really caught me off guard. And I was like, whoa, that, that's really innovative and, and smart kind of in an obvious sort of way. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Huh. And they have but these Omega cameras that they have around here that are doing high-frame captures. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like three-dimensional imaging. It's all this kind of stuff. I mean, it makes sense because literally almost the eyes of the world are watching. You don't want to mess up. And the races are so close these days. Right. You know, then a couple of swimming races today, and it's like four one-thousandths of a second separates gold from silver. Well, in some of these races, yeah. It's like... Wow. You're talking thousands of a second. Yeah, uh, somebody in the chat room. Uh, Phelps lost by uh, six ten, uh, 0.06 seconds. One of his uh, swimming races, he like, something like happened for just like a split second. And then he and another guy touched at the same time. And another guy touched 0.06 seconds ahead of him. And that meant he got the silver. Wow. Which is crazy. And how did we ever get by before we could... Uh before we could tell so accurately? Uh, ties. <laughs> <laughs> Judges who just made calls. Yeah, ties, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess and, so. And, you know, you were talking about some of those other images. Um, stereoscopic cameras are used for long jumpers. You know, they can measure speed and angles of launch just when they're training. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of technology used for training. You know, then they can say, you know, you can observe someone and they run and they jump and you could say, Here's how fast they're going here, how high they're jumping, how far can they go. And it's sort of an immediate, you know, you jump, coach watches, and coach says, all right, you were doing better doing it this way. Now go out there and do it again. And it's yeah. immediate, this immediate go, um, is iteration of how you do things. Okay. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, swimmers can use dynamic, you know, uh, measurements or look at uh, fluid dynamics and uh, to see these cameras that measure Here's how the water flows around them. Here's the turbulence. So they can learn how to decrease that as much as possible, kind of get the, the most bang for their buck out of each. Right. Yeah. Like, almost, like a, like a, almost like how you try to design a race boat to be as... I yeah. guess aerodynamic, though, that's not the right term, is it? Uh, sort of. It is actually kind of... I mean, you know what I mean when I say yeah, it. Yeah, it is aerodynamic. You want to be as aerodynamic as possible. It's just in the water. So it's fluid dynamics. Right. Yeah, fluid that, dynamics. That because you have a number of things working against you in those kind of races. Right. Like so wave you have drag and... Yeah. Huh. So those things. So you work those all together and you can, you know, through these images and, te- you know, technology um, programs going through and telling you this is what needs to happen so you can kind of get better and better. Another thing, um, uh, runners, you know, they have, in you know, a lot of long distance runners, they can get shin splints and mm. get a whole bunch of actual injuries. Mm-hmm. So um, training, they have uh, this cool little, uh, actually a, uh, a treadmill that actually used for uh, physical therapy as well. So it's like you put on a little like pair of like speedo, well, like, like tight bicycle shorts. Mm. And it's got a, uh, almost looks like a little uh, rubber ring around you. And you get onto the treadmill and it has a 
a bag that pops up and you seal yourself into it. Ooh. And then it can pop up like a bouncy house. Oh. And support really? some of your weight. So it can support some of your weight so it can take some of that off so you can start, you know, that training without as much impact on your legs. Wow. And for, for physical therapy, you know, you can start off with, you know, part of your weight and then move it down so you have more and more of your weight on it. That is and it, so cool. And it is com so completely, um, you know, they can change exactly how much their pressure going to put in there. Uh, there's the video that you can see how it looks and there's big windows on each side, you know, clear. It's a big pla uh, dark plastic with clear windows on the side. Mm -hmm. So somebody, a therapist or a coach can stand on the side and look in and say, no, no, you need to run this way and place your feet down that way. Mm -hmm. So they can still monitor your style. Your yeah, form. they can monitor your style. You can, they can practice. So if a runner has an injury, you know, maybe they've pulled something um, a long this time, completely stopping training is going to be really detrimental if they want to compete. But they don't, if you, com if you train in a normal style, you're going gonna to hurt yourself even more. Mm -hmm. So this is a way um, the, the runner in the video, actually, that's, they were talking about how she was injured and how she kind of came back from that and was able to continue, you know, training for competitions because she used that. Hmm. So, you know, and then uh, at this specific Olympics, the the pools, you know, you have um, all this different technology going into the pools even, how to minimize waves. There's big little, you know, runners along the side of the pool to kind of take out the chop in the water, the lane dividers are to try you know, to give spin. them to try to give them like the best yeah water they spin conditions. to take up to take up a lot of the injury of the of the waves so it's kind of decreasing the waves letting the wow. the athletes do as much as they can and they can uh, drop the 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 level of the bottom of the pool because that also decreases the waves bouncing up from the bottom of the pool really because it you know it's the waves are going sideways they're going down and it'll uh like reflect, Gives like a whole light new meaning reflects to an Olympic pool. Yeah, well, I mean, just like light reflects off a wall or things like that. It's it's the light waves, or you know, sound waves can bounce around. It's mm -hmm. si similar with uh, you know, water waves. They go down to the bottom and they bounce off the sides of the pool or the bottom of the pool. So all these different things can come together to help help these people train, help them compete at the best level. And so many of these things can also be used for physical therapy and, you know, retraining people with movement disorders because it's, you know, you're being able to train somebody to compete at a really high level and you're showing, you know, all these different techniques to train the body. You can take that back to the beginning and say, hey, we can use this same type of technique, you know, the, um, they call it the zero gravity, um, treadmill mm -hmm. or you know all these different sort of high-speed cameras and tracking things so that you can look exactly what the body's doing and they can actually analyze how some of these top athletes you know how their bodies do the crazy things that they do because you know there's no way that i you know i watch some of these competitions and my joints hurt right it's like wow I'm i could like, not go out there oh, and even do half that i couldn't even no. do half that yeah yeah i mean my brother competed uh, gymnastics right through a uh, college. So he's a competitive gymnast and watching them, you know, him do the rings and they flip around all the time. And I'm like, I've dislocated both my shoulders. Mm -hmm. Like, 
a couple times now. And I'm like, ow, that's mm. amazing. And my shoulders hurt just looking at oh, you. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, for these long distance runners and all these kind of things, they can look how their body mechanics work and sort of backtrack that to help to help other people. You know, those of us who aren't as cool and the closest thing we can get is cheering, looking <laughs> at it. Uh, what I had somebody say, it's funny how we're all sitting here watching the best of the best athletes compete from our couches. <laughs> oh, it's true. It makes me sad, except not all of us. I've been able to watch it, but I, I well, yeah, I, uh, I would, if I could, I would be sitting comfortably yeah, on my I couch. I really haven't maybe, watched it maybe yet. Maybe some popcorn and a lot of butter. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> wow. You know, and then there is the opposite side of this technology. Mm-hmm. The, the last Olympics, we keep going back to swimming, but they had these new swimsuits, mm. um, LZR razor swimsuits from Speedo. And it was like, Re- packed full of technology, like woven elastine nylon. It had specific a, sp- a speedo, huh? Well, they were actually like almost full body. They weren't like tiny. These were like arms and oh, full okay. body down to the knees. Okay. And what it was doing is it was sort of uh, adding compression, so it kind of compresses you down, so you're a little bit more aerodynamic. And it also added. Um, it almost looked like these little pads across the suit, so it was like letting the water glide just across it. So that's actually kind of giving them a little bit of an edge. Hmm, I've heard of this, yeah. Yeah, so they actually had to go back and like disqualify that from all major races. What? Well, in the 2008 Olympics, 94% of all swimming races were won by people wearing that. 98% of all the medals won. And 23 out of the 25 world records at those Olympics were broken all by people wearing the swimsuit. <laughs> You know, uh, wow. Well, they got the they got sure got a leg up in that one, didn't they? Yeah, by the you know 2009, 93 world records have been broken by swimmers wearing that <laughs> that race suit. So Whoa. that prompted like the the governing body to go like, all right, we're going to reevaluate this. And they're like, yeah, you're you're not allowed to wear that for uh for competitions anymore. Those, those things are like the bat suit of uh, swimming shorts. Yeah, and so like they went back and they made rules about how much it could cover and the type of you know, fabrics it could be made out of or nylons it could be made out of. And, you know, so women can only get it to cover this this part of their body. Men can only wear, you know, bottoms. So there's all sorts of different things that also have to go in to make sure technology isn't winning and it is people. Mm. You know, I also kind of see it uh, to a certain degree that um, certain countries are going to be able to have the ability to get all of this technology poured into you know, an athlete and how to better them. And certain other countries are not going to be able to have that. So mm, it's true. to some degree, it gets a little bit more of a, a playing field there. I mean, there's still going to be, you know, the training facilities and things like that that are still going to be in certain places. But it all comes down to you really do want the athlete to win, not the, you know, not the company who makes something. You know, it's not Speedo winning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. want people to win. Yeah, yeah, I do follow you there. That makes sense. And so, so they just made certain rules about you know what it can do and where it can do it. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, another technology that's come in and about that's been a whole lot of controversy. Mm. It's actually a uh, uh, runner Oscar Pistorius. Yeah. yeah. This is a double amputee running in the Olympics. Regular right. Olympics. And he doesn't have Complete no. legs. He, he, no, he, they, yeah. 
is just his knees. So he runs on, it looks like springs. And so there was a time where he was disqualified from the last Olympics because they said it gave him an undue advantage. And then came back and some scientists and engineers came together and reanalyzed it and said, well, actually, the only bounce he gets from the spring is whatever he pushes into the spring. It's not giving him anything extra. Ah, a critical so, difference. Yeah, it's not giving him anything. It is just what it is. So he's doing that. He has to run differently because you know he doesn't have... There's certain muscles that just aren't there. So he has to compensate by... You know, using his muscles differently, swinging his arms extra. And it's funny because you can see he runs in these. And then if you watch him in any race, you know, he'll be walking around afterward like a lot of runners do. He just can't stop. Literally. Those those aren't like standing still. He has to kind of move a little bit in them all the time. Really? Because they are for sprinting. Yeah, he really, uh, in one of these video clips, he just pulls ahead like almost like a car hitting the pedal to the metal i was really impressed with that my jaw actually dropped yeah that's one of the reasons why it has been such a big a big deal is because when he's having a good competition day he is outrunning people like just to see how fast he is running i'm like wow i no matter how good his shoes i'm not gonna be running anything like that no And, and he is amazing because it's like he's going to be the first double amputee to ever compete in the Olympics, which, you know, so there's that and be able to be so fast. And this is a sort of technology where, you know, they do have to go in and they say, all right, specific technology to specific technology. This is not giving him an unfair advantage. He may use it to to compete. You know, and the swimsuits do give an unfair advantage. So they. So it's all uh, dependent. I guess. I mean, just because it's the energy he puts into it, but isn't. Isn't doesn't he have some advantage in the way that it then returns that energy and it propels him? No, I, I mean not. you when you're running, you're you're forcing your leg down, you know, pushing against the earth to go forward. That's essentially all he's being able to do. It's it's working in the same way. It's uh, you know, in physics, potential and kinetic energy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Julio, or who uh, in the chat room says, where do you draw the line? That's that's where some of these governing bodies are going to, and they're watching and they're saying, okay. Well, I mean, in the last Olympics, they did let that LZR swimsuit in. So then they saw it and they went, oh wait, let's reevaluate this. So yeah. it, you yeah. know, and he was going to compete in the last Olympics, and they mm-hmm. went and they said no. True. So it is, it's it's looking at each each piece of new technology because there is no way to say this is going to work for the next Olympics these specific rules, because that's four years from now. Goodness only knows what kind of technology, you know, is going to be built, it's going to be changed. Well, he really is a machine, though. Yeah. I mean, he's an amazing athlete. Yeah. I mean, that was one one time that I would definitely point out, you know, a specific athlete for this type of technology. Wow, so, he can book. He looks <laughs> like he's doing 20 miles per hour, I swear. That's just <laughs> something. That is just really something. Yeah. Incredible. And it's it's all these things coming together and deciding, you know, each at each game to each game or each um competition, you know, world events, you know, world competitions each year. You have to go through and you have to have a governing body saying, This is you know, looking at sometimes this piece of technology is okay, this piece of technology isn't, we're gonna reevaluate in a year. So there's a lot of different things going on. Um one place that they're not going to 
really draw a line on is, you know, safety. Mm. Various headgear. There's mm-hmm. a lot of different sports where your head is in danger in various degrees. Very true. Like, turns out most of them. Oh, quite a bit of them. Yes. I mean, and each specific event needs a different type of helmet. Mm. I mean, the uh, acquisition races are events where, you know, you're riding on a horse. You need a specific helmet to be able to take that fall. Or on a bike race, you need a specific helmet. Or, you know, it's these where it's, do you need something that's a hard hit or something like uh, one of the the boxing or something where there's a lot of hitting to the head needs to be a little softer and more flexible. How much flex and how much, what kind of foams and where. Hmm. So it's a very specific, you know, almost engineering analysis here again to say, okay, these are the type of falls and events that we need to protect the head from. Now, what do we do to do that? And then they can go through and they can, you know, put them together or analyze the different pieces uh, in the video uh, that's in the, I don't know, if, uh, in the chat. You can actually see where they pull out a piece of mm-hmm. you know, material and they put it down and you it'll drop a weight on it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a you know, stress test. And then they can do that and they can take it out and they can analyze it with, you know, scanning electron microscopes even to kind of see exactly how things are shattering so they can say okay this needs to be a little bit done differently this is okay so in this case all the technology is getting you know as advanced as possible you want to put everything you can into you know protecting the athlete so there's so that is really good and then you can also backtrack that to you know, those technologies whittle down to uh, my local bike shop so mm-hmm. that, you know, when mm-hmm. I fall, not if, but when I fall, my head is, my head is protected to well, whatever And it degree. makes sense, right? Because yeah. the companies, the companies, they work, they figure this out, they do all this study, and then they can turn around and hopefully make a little bit money up by money back by selling it in the mass market and yeah. taking what they've learned and mm-hmm. profiting from that. And it's interesting to, to see how even in 2012, they're still heavily iterating on all of this stuff. Oh yes. Well, I mean, we as we go forward, we have new tech, new uh, fabrics, new materials, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and lighter stuff, like you were saying, which is always huge for an athlete. Oh yeah, lighter I would imagine. Stuff. I'm usually sitting, so I'm not sure. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I, I'm assuming this too. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have all this better equipment and better computer analysis going on, so you have all these different things. These programs are getting smarter and smarter. These materials, all these things come together so that, you know, you want, you're protecting people as much as possible. Of course, you're going to have a brand name on it saying, hey, look, that company just protected the brain of my of my team. Right. That, that then, Speedo was, was that, close to my favorite <laughs> Olympic athletes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Speedo won the Olympics. That's where I was going with that. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I meant, too. Yeah. Hmm. And then even, um, you know, less known, the Paralympics. You know, a lot of technology can go into that. I mean, wheelchairs, not just, you know, wheelchairs. There is a different wheelchair for every type of sport. Yeah. You know, you have uh, ones that are specific for racing, one that are, they've got like, you know, rugby almost and basketball. So you want, in basketball, there's uh, different positions need different bikes uh, in wheelchairs. Hmm. So it's all these different ways of how they need to handle. Do they need to not be able to tip over? Are they? Do they need to move a corner on a dime? So 
there's technologies in practically every piece of, well, in every piece of equipment for Olympics, Paralympics, you know, that's used. You want to have all the technology to get in there to be able to judge people, you know, in the most interpreted, you know, unbiased sound. Yeah, in the most, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Heather has over at science360.gov, link in the show notes to that. Um, there are um, tons of really cool behind-the-scenes videos. I was previewing clips from a few of them, but I didn't even mm-hmm. play half of them. You know, so there's oh, yeah, a lot. there's, yeah, there's you, so yeah. many. Yeah, and you get to hear the commentary and all that stuff if you go mm-hmm. watch them. And they're free up on, uh, and, uh, and I guess it's a .gov site. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty neat. Any other, any other thoughts on that one? No, it's just you see, see the Olympics and there's science in the Olympics. Science is powering <laughs> Makes them more the awesome. Yep, yep. It's being powered by science, Heather. Exactly. Well then, let's take a pause here. I have some very cool news. Speaking of being powered by something, Jupiter Broadcasting is powered by its very audience. It's a very symbiotic relationship and I like it quite a bit. And I have very, very, very good news. Last week I was all bummed. I was like sad pants because Chrome had updated and disabled our affiliate Redirect yeah. extension, and that cost me greatly, Google, Ooh. greatly. However, the good news is we got off our butt. We got it submitted to the actual Chrome Web Store. I'll have a link to it uh, in the, at the bottom of Jupiter Broadcasting, or you just go to the Chrome Web Store, and you just search for that there, Jupiter Broadcasting, and when you search in there, you'll find it, and you just add that to your Chrome, and then whenever you browse one of our mini affiliates, it'll automatically tag your shopping session for Jupiter Broadcasting, and... Because I love you guys, and I realize not everyone is down with the Chrome's, uh, Chromey ways, a.k.a. Heather, we also <laughs> have added the Jupiter Broadcasting Affiliate Redirect extension to the uh, Firefox Yay. store. Yeah, now theirs is not marked as approved yet, so when you search for it, it won't show up. But again, I will have a link at the bottom of jupiterbroadcasting.com, and I will put links in the chat room right now. So good news. So now hopefully... yeah. When browsers do their updates, uh, our extension won't get turned off on us and people uh, won't have to uh, lose track of that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so very, very excited. And a big thank you to Rikai in the chat room who's worked very hard on those extensions too. Very, hey. very nice of him to do so. And it's uh, it's a great, we will also have, uh, we've also, which I don't think they're, I'm not sure they might be in the affiliate, but uh, we just recently added Amazon DE and Netflix US Ooh. as affiliates. Of course, who doesn't have Netflix, right? I mean, yeah. everybody, everybody has Netflix probably. But if you don't have Netflix or you know somebody that wants Netflix, go grab that link at the bottom of the website. All right, Heather, then let's do the News Bite. News Bite. bite. <laughs> All right, Heather, what is the first story in the News Bite? Writing with your eyes, like, you know, ex- in- instead of a pen in your what? hand. Really? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of um, paralyzing disorders that or that means you can't, you know, use your hand to write. And so many of these different things that sort of lock people in. And the only way of communication is with their eyes, you know, blinking or moving, you know, mm-hmm. eyeing over a letter board or something. So there's this new technology that this guy came up with. Actually, he was looking at, um, sort of came across this where there's this idea of phi um, motion or in reverse phi, where it's, you have two... We've seen these optical illusions where it's like a whole bunch of dots in a circle and they dim out one and then they dim out the next one. It really is just a series of images, mm. but it looks like, you know, the dim one is going around in a circle. Mm. That's just how it looks like to your brain. A lot of these different images do that. Or if you have images, uh, 
an image and then it's negative and then the next clip of an image and it's negative and you just scroll through all of those. Now, it, if your brain doesn't like flashing things, be careful if you watch uh, those type of videos. I've got one in the show notes. Okay. My brain doesn't like that too much. It's a, a little hard on the eyes, huh? Oh yeah, my gosh. The, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it can be a little hard on the eyes, but it's just four images and it looks like there's a lot of they're driving there. down a row. It, it does. looks like there's, you know, and it's, it's this motion of when you see an image and then you see its reverse, your eye sees it as uh, motion going away from the negative. Wow. That, my, wow. <laughs> that hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, don't watch more than a, a few seconds. <laughs> I don't suggest you do. There, that clip is really long. Don't watch it all. It's very fascinating though, because I really do notice the effect. It really does seem oh, like, yeah. it seems like it's, there's just a bunch of guys on a motorcycle driving down the road. Yeah, so he was looking at this. And what some of this is, is movements of your eyes. There's smooth pursuit, and then there's a cicadic motion. Hmm. And that's essentially where your eye is moving in a whole bunch of t tiny little jerks. When you're reading, it's actually doing that. It's moving in a whole bunch of tiny little jerks as you're going down. Mm -hmm. um, now, smooth motion would be when you're looking, uh, you know, skimming lines of text or scanning a crowd. You're just kind of Camera looking around. Camera panning, kind of. Yeah, camera panning. Then your yeah. eye is moving, um, its muscles are moving in a smooth motion. Hmm. Now, they didn't think that you could consciously control that, be, you know, be able to look uh, tiny motions in a smooth fashion. Hmm. But doing this, the guy noticed, essentially he was looking at this and he's like, wait a minute, I can sort of train my eye to move in a smooth fashion. So he sat there and he, you know, trained his eye and then he had a, you know, camera, and he looked um, at a screen, and he essentially moved his eyes to write and in cursive, and he was able to write, you know, hello and letters and numbers. And so then he came, and he's like, "Okay, I can do it." What about other people? So he took in six volunteers, and over three thirty-minute sessions, he was able to train them. Now, you can't really see what you're writing at the time, so it's like writing uh, <laughs> with a pen with no ink. <laughs> but they were able to. Um, I mean, some of them had a harder time, but most of them were able to write numbers and letters and draw in very legible fashions. This is pretty wild. It's, you know, there's an image in the, sh in the show notes and on the enhanced uh, um, and audio. And it's really cool that you see and you're like, that's kind of messy handwriting. No, mm -hmm. wait, that's someone drawing letters with their eyes. And that's with, and, with fairly rough practice. Yeah. I mean, really rough practice. This is early iteration of the whole software. I mean, the, oh, you know, yeah. the, he's working on future, you know, making it better. He's next going to work with some, um, you know, handicapped people so you, that they can actually do that. Do you think they're speculating that you could actually achieve near typing speed? Uh, well, goodness only knows. I mean, near typing speed. How fast do you type? How fast do I type? How fast does my boss type? Right. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, that's so, relative. It, it's all relative. But if. I mean, the speed of this compared to, I mean, some of these people, you have a letterboard and somebody moves their hand across the letterboard and when they get to the letter you want, you mm -hmm. blink. Yeah, this and you're trying way to do, faster than that. You're trying to build a word one letter at a time. The uh, And then a lot of times they'll be like, oh, wait, this is the word? And you're like, blink, blink. Yes, thank you. Let's just, move on to the next one, please. I just recently saw a 3D demo mm -hmm. on a traditional iPad that doesn't have a 3D screen 
Mm-hmm. And they were using the front-facing camera to track the person's eyeballs so that way the image would look 3D because they knew where the right and left eyeballs were at. Um, and I just oh. I almost wonder if that kind of accurate tracking could be used to do this because then if you could give, if you could deliver something like that in a tablet form, mm-hmm. that would be super accessible for a lot of disabled people. Oh, yeah. So it increases the, the communication. It's not only that. I mean... Like so many other technologies, it has offshoots. I mean, mm-hmm. that would obviously be, you know, one of the best ways that it would help people. Mm-hmm. But can use that kind of eye training to help people um, such as athletes or surgeons, surgeons or people with dyslexia or ADHD, any of these type of things where they could use better control of their eyes. Hmm. You, know, you can start, you know, training someone's eyes to work in a specific fashion, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. working out for your eyes. And so, you know, this is working, you know, there's going to be, yeah, it's just eye training and future tests, as I said, are going to be coming next year with some disabled people. He's actually going to kind of hand it over to them and see how they do. Hmm. It's definitely, I mean, and the eye training can be done with a computer. So Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, it's, it's scalable. So it's, that's interesting. And, uh, and I could do it sitting. So, and I like that. Of course. Well, you know, (laughs) I don't have to stand. That's nice. The whole point is to helping people that you I know, know, but I want are in a too. wheelchair. I want it too. I mean, you know, eventually it'll probably come down to like uh, some. I wouldn't even be honestly. I wouldn't be surprised to see it show up in something like a Connect type future device years down the road after it's after it's you know had its uh, initial implementations in the medical field. I, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised to see it hit consumer technology. Well, yeah, eventually that you go here. Oh man, let's see the kind of coordination it would take. To be typing a note oh, at work and then like moving your eyes to chat with your friends. Right. So there's like no. Super multitasking. Wow. <laughs> you're like, and then suddenly, you know, you're like, hey, dude, let's go to the movies in the middle of your memo to your boss. And I probably should stick one to the other. The, uh, you know, the Samsung Galaxy uh, S2, the, uh, I think, I, I think it's the S2. One of the new Samsung Galaxy phones does uh, eye tracking. And with mm-hmm. its front-facing camera, and doesn't turn off the screen when you're looking at it, and then Whoa. yeah, so the screen won't go to sleep on you. So, so if you're reading something for a while, like a book or something on the screen, it'll stay on. Then when you look off, then it starts the sleep timer, and it'll turn off after a bit. Wow, isn't that crazy? <laughs> so it's starting to get you know, it's getting out there in different ways. Just different vendors oh, are yeah. working out in different in different capacities. Um, all right, well, uh, any other thoughts on that one? No. I think that's about it. The the just the technology is coming forward with being able to do things with your eyes. No kidding. All right then, then let's move into the two byte news. The two byte news. Two byte news. It's retro, so it sounds official. <laughs> the two <laughs> Makes bite it super sciencey. Byte news. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, you know the lyrics. They seem like they change every episode. I don't. Well, of course. <laughs> All right, what's the first story in the two byte news? All right, we're going to see some Morse code in space. Like, literal, like, written in, like, light that you can see. So, there's these CubeSats. Essentially, it's little satellites, 10 centimeter cube, um, about a little under three pounds. And you put these up, and then they're able to go out and and orbit. These just little things, so it's pretty cheap to put out. And so, there's one that has... You know, an antenna and has a, like a couple of really bright LED lights. And now, uh, am I showing the right thing here in this? Uh, yes. So yes, you are. are. So these are uh, about the size of, I don't know, a, 
a, a, a tissue box almost like a, like a Kleenex tissue box. Right. I mean, they're very small. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, the one is, is talking about is they're going to, they're kind of seeing how well they can do high speed transmissions. And so they're going to be able to send a JPEG, you know, oh. a 480 by 640 Love within that. six seconds. And then they're also going to write messages in the sky. So they're going to have oh, cool. a beacon signal and it's going to, they're going to have some data that's being taken uh, and the image is all going to coordinate together. So it'll flash, you know, in Morse code, high. <laughs> then it's going to send the, the image and then it's going to Morse code out some telemetry. I, so, okay. So just, just so I have the understanding, they're actually sending this up into space. Yes. And they're deploying this fairly impressive system yeah. into space. Yeah. And then it's going to drop these things back down into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these CubeSats are, are put up quite a, quite often, actually. And they're not going to burn? Well, they do eventually. Oh, okay. That's the I'd idea. Say, I'd, okay. Yeah, some of them will. Okay. I'm assuming that quite a bit of them do. So then they so they bring these, up, these things up there often, and then they drop them. And while they're dropping, they're going to spell high? I- <laughs> well, it, it's going to be in orbit. They they all orbit for a little while. Okay. So it's going to be in orbit, and it's going to send out the Morse code high. Then it's going to send out uh, cer- uh, certain amounts of telemetry. So it's like this one, this, you know, speed is this, power is that. Always everything's going on. Now, this is not a U.S. Um, satellite. This is uh, a Korean, yeah. I believe. Oh, okay, okay. Uh but I, I mean, is, I'm fascinated by it. So these are like little disposable research boxes. Yeah. The the CubeSat itself seems old hat to me because I, I've known about them for a long time. Um, uh, colleges can get together. Universities or colleges get together and they put it, you know, if you can get whatever you want in this little box. Okay, yeah. And then you pay, um, essentially you you pay a, you know, a writer's fee. You're getting onto the bus. You get a bus ticket. You want... You know, a rocket into space all by yourself, that is a big ticket item. Now, if everybody can pay for a passenger seat on that, right, right, it, it makes it a lot uh, a lot easier. I mean, if you're putting up a, a big satellite, there's going to be some room for a handful of these probably. So then you can sell off a little bit of the extra weight space, you know, to other people. You know, and you can have little uh, neodymium magnets so it always stays at a specific you know, pointed to the North Pole. Oh, really? Interesting. So they, that is really neat because they don't have any motors, any engines, I guess no. I should say. They don't nope. have no thrust. Nope, absolutely none. Just the orbit of whatever they got when they were released. And then if they have that magnet in there. They yep, can and they have pull that. pull them so in a certain uh, alignment. Well, it just aligns them. Yeah. That uh, is so oh, neat. Vietnam. What kind, do you know what kind of things that are common inside a crate this size because again it's about the size of a tissue box it's not very big it can vary i mean literally some of them will have uh, most of them will have some solar panels on at least one side some of them will have um almost like little tails to transmit data it's the inside is pretty much anything beyond that is as as different as it can be, there's going to be probably a motherboard of some sort, you know, sensors of some sort, a you know, solar panels to take in energy, some sort of battery pack, and a way to transmit data. Anything beyond that is whatever you can dream up and have the money to send up. Hmm. I would put up a podcast uh, 
episodes and then let them just fall back to earth and then that's how people get them instead of downloading them they would just fall <laughs> your, they'd fall in your backyard oh, okay well <laughs> hopefully not fall just transmit right right yeah i gotta get that, i gotta get around gonna, that that you'll you'll put like a best of selection and like put it on one of these and like blow it up you know get it up there and then that'll be like huge you know advertising be like hey right yeah i mean definitely when uh a podcaster destroyed an audience member's home today. I mean, no. I could see that headline. That's probably not a good headline. I doubt it will survive re-entry. Yeah. And like most things, it will fall in the ocean. So you're saying it would it would kill my stats. That's what you're saying. Is it because if it, if it if it burned up and if it burned up in the atmosphere, it's not gonna it's not gonna get me very far. Well, I, I guess the point would be to advertise that way. Be like, hey, everyone, come over here and watch. I like the way you think, Heather. I like. The I don't know. Think. The interesting part of this was that. With a pair of binoculars or small telescope, theoretically, even perhaps they say with the naked eye, you'd be able to look up and see the Morse code. So as it's okay. orbiting, you'd be able to dot, 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 dash, dot, dot, dash. That'd so, be really cool. Yep. Of course, then I get nervous as you know, an amateur astronomer. I'm like, don't muddle my sky. I don't want to be looking at you know some tiny little globular cluster. Then I'm like... Spent like 10 minutes getting my eyes all ready and I'm looking at it very carefully and suddenly, wham, giant LED that, flashes through my sky. <laughs> that's what and you're worried about. my eyeball is blinded for a little while. <laughs> only like, you. Only you are worried about that. <laughs> not just me. There's going to be other people worried about that too. You know what I'm worried about? I'm worried about all the crazies the next day that'll be on Facebook and Reddit saying they saw, saw the most unbelievable UFO invasion in the sky last night. <laughs> Aliens talk in Morse code. Right. You heard it here first. There you go. Maybe it's, yeah, you never know. Maybe it's really efficient in space. <laughs> now, uh, we have a science story in here with a musical variety, don't we? We do. Remember how some people say music isn't like it used to be? It's it all sounds not alike. as awesome. Actually, there's scientific evidence saying it kind of does. No, really? Because I thought I was just yes. getting older because I seriously have been thinking that lately. No, there is a million song database online that <laughs> okay. is, I'm serious, it's not quite a million songs, but it's there, um, the data set is there for people to go and analyze. And so this one group went through, um, you know, so over 45,000 artists, um, you know, 2,000, a little over 2,000 songs, going back from uh, it's certain, uh, between 55 and 59, 177,000 songs between 2005 to 2009. Okay. So the the numbers recently, of course, bigger because the older songs, it has to be what's there, what's been digitized, and what's been uploaded. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there is some, you know, and then it's the ones, the older ones are just the more popular ones that have been digitized. So there's some question about, you know, what are the statistics? But oh. over the most part, it's they took the analysis of, uh, Timber, pitch, and loudness. Timber is a, a sound color, they call it, or texture, or tone quality. Looking at um, harmonics, uh -huh. uh, the chords, the melody, you know, the, you know, the loudness level. So, um, so the variety, you know, how many different you know, instruments or craziness was used, it, that kind of peaked out in the 60s. And then as it's gone forward, we've become more homogenized. The, there's less diversity in instruments, uh, recording techniques, um, you know, more uh, 
there's less adventurousness from chord, different chords being used. Hmm. So it's uh, more chords are used. You know, this set of um, somebody uh, creepy uncle. So like this, for example, let's just say this set of ten chords is mostly used nowadays. Very few people go outside that boundary. It may not maybe ten, but let's just call it that. And then of course, um, as most obvious, to a lot of people is that it's been getting louder at a specific rate. It's like, um, you know, a decibel every uh, year. I forgot what it was, but jeez. So now, do they? Do you know? Because to me, huh? as a, as a as as somebody who records audio, yeah, I know that a. Uh, a large range of what we record is completely lost through the compression. So mm-hmm. um, I think that might explain why maybe some some things are now kind of more sounding more like because some things just kind of get lost when you compress. And so many people listen on in, in a, I mean, everybody, who, who everybody listens to MP3s now. So it's there's maybe that's there's, there's sort of targeting that destination, but also the radio. The radio has the same effect with the compression on the radio and things like that, that maybe there's just certain things that don't sound very well over radio, so they kind of stopped using them as much to make it sell really well and sound sweet over the air. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I was mentioning before, there is some question as to is this actually representative of, you know, various various music? Is it being, is it a, as you were saying, you know, is it a combination of that or what all is going on? But I mean, one thing that was definite is that obviously music is getting louder and, by a consistent rate. <laughs> I would say I agree with that. And I would say it does sound a lot alike now, especially if you go for a period of time. It's weird to go back to old radio stations that mm-hmm. I used to listen to that are like are, are more hippie or not yeah. hippie, but more poppy, I guess, maybe. And it's like, what is this all? And I can't I really can't distinguish any of the songs particularly. Mm-hmm. And I. And I, I really, to me, a lot of them really sound like they're the same music. Yeah. I mean, and also think in the 60s, they were using every, I mean, what I see is they're using all sorts of different instruments. It's like everything was thrown into a room and then you just do use everything you can. You know, and mostly these days it's uh, piano, uh, strummed instruments, you know, guitar, bass. So there's a certain number of instruments and, you know, there is some credence to this saying you know people are are not so interested in being how much are people being adventurous and how much are people just saying i need to sell this i think there's a lot of that i think so i need to that. be you need to play a little safer and, and so the pe- it you know i mean to be honest uh don't you think that'll just then kind of lead down the road to like a rediscovery and people to because in order to sell you have to find something new and the new thing will be playing all the things that aren't being played it almost seems like it's a cycle yeah well that was one of the things i saw in the in the article was when a song really jumps out from the pack it's obviously that's generally when it was more memorable more popular so there are those kind of things where can you find the the balance of you know being different to being in the homogenized group of safe it was sort of a you know it may not be an accurate you know, representation or analysis, but it was an interesting first step at looking at this because it made me feel less like an old fogey. <laughs> I agree with you Because we're not old fogies, Chris. I know. We are not. I know. That's the thing. That's like, that's like why, is this, does this happen this early in life? Does this start no. happening now? And that's what I was honestly thinking to myself. 
I know, but no, we're not. There's just we're gonna blame the science. I'm totally so okay. We're gonna with go that. with that. I'm totally we're okay. We're gonna blame that. the science for now. All right. I like it. I say that's the that's the final word on that. Now, you do have some updates, don't you? Yes, I do. The Red Bull Stratus mission. That's the guy who's riding the balloon way up into the atmosphere and sky jumping from space. Right nearly. inside that cool he's going up in a cool capsule thing, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. On the twenty fifth of uh, July, just the not too long ago, he did his final jump of uh, one hundred and twenty thousand feet. Oh, oh well, wow. before that final jump, he made this one at uh, he jumped. I'll get to that in just a sec. So, <laughs> I mean, it'd been delayed through a couple of times because of bad weather, but they finally got it up. Mm, mm. Uh, you know, four times as bigger as the last one. Took. 90 minutes to get to the altitude they wanted to get at. Really? Yeah. And there we go. Jumped at a little over uh, 29,000 meters or 96,640 feet. Huh. That is a lot of feet. That is, over seriously. 96,500 feet is he jumped. And this is leading to the 120,000 foot jump. So that's going to be later this year. So this is kind of the final prep, you know, testing of everything. I mean, Free falling for nearly four minutes. You know, he got to 536 miles an hour. I wonder what goes through the mind when you're doing that for that long. Because that's long enough to really freak out if you're not careful. (laughs) Yeah. Well, for a while, this is cool. This is cool. This is cool. And then at one point, oh, parachute, please work. Oh, parachute, please work. I I would assume there'd be that moment of... Please parachute. Then, I, I would really love you enjoy for you to work. It just seems like a big gust of wind or anything like that, and he's he's SOL. I don't know, but well, I mean, there's specific types of parachutes. There's um that you would use for high altitude or mm, okay. to slow you down into into sure. a proper speed. Sure, it's not just the the little rectangles or you know, parafoils that you see. There's, you know, I know they're very how to slow you down at this rate or go to that rate. Mm-hmm. I mean, he. He was able to land with pretty good accuracy. Just oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? About 15 minutes by helicopter away from where he launched. Pretty slick. Yeah, no, he, like, came back. So, you know, his next jump will rank the current uh, record for how high a person has has jumped. Of course, they're not going to say when it's going to happen. It all depends on, you know, the analysis, the weather, goodness only knows. But, but they're building the hype. They're releasing they these cool are, videos and stuff. And there's no video of him actually jumping. It's all the, theoretical and it's all him, you know, an image of him standing at the doorway. It's all being captured and kept for the big event. They have it all. Well, of course they're going to have it all. They're just keeping it all. Oh, and wow. of course, his final jump, he's going to actually break the sound barrier. Which will be the first person, you know, with just your body breaking the sound barrier. I still think it's kind of a weird association with Red Bull. I think it's great. I mean, I really yeah. do. But every now and then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Red Bull's involved with this. Why again? Because it's cool, yeah. I guess. I mean, that's neat. I mean, you come through and everyone sees this and is like, oh, cool, the Red Bull thing. And then you're like, oh, yeah, there's a brand name to that. It's not just the the project I, name. It gets us talking about Red Bull. Yeah, I know. So it's got that. They should give it. us a uh, a slice of the pie. That would be nice. That's what I'm talking about. Everybody, if, if this has made you want to drink Red Bull, go into Amazon and buy it. And I love pie. With using, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> you I, know love when, I love when people use the affiliate link, too. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right, then. Well, then, why don't we yeah. move right on into the spacecraft update? 
I finally figured out when that red light starts flashing, it's time for a spacecraft update. Okay. The sci-fi computer, it really just has this thing down. All right, what is, there you the, go. What is the first update? All right. Next week, yes. Cybert will be filming two days after the landing of the Curiosity rover <laughs> on Mars. I might have a few things to say about it. Maybe, maybe. I, I, am, I am trying to contain myself. I will try to contain myself so that I don't break the whole internet with my excitement. Well, you know, by then I'll have come <laughs> down just a little bit. You think, you think now, you'll have slept? Yes, I will definitely have okay. slept. I would have had to go to work, so I would definitely sleep so I don't blow myself up at right, work. Right. But, you know, it's going to be... In the early hours, um, at least in the U.S., of Sunday night to Monday morning. And if you, you know, go over to my Twitter, JB underscore Mars underscore base, I have been tweeting every day. <laughs> it's like six days, six wheels. You know, it's like in five days, it's going to land. And it's five times heavier than so it's like every day you got it's a counting number, down. You got a number trick going there. I like that. I do everything from 10. I've been counting down. Just, just a little, and then there's a whole bunch of different that I'm gonna put out of, uh, you know, places where you can watch it. And actually, um, if you're gonna be in uh, New York City, Times Square, the big, um, right, you know, big screens, they are gonna have the the NASA TV feeds. That's awesome for a couple hours. So that's gonna be cool. NASA's getting some prime time uh, uh, attention again, which is great. Yeah, of course, it's not really happening prime time so much. Well, you know, it's. It's sleepy time, except for, you know, people who are really going to be, you know, trying to stay awake or be kind of hyped up like me. Next, so next week's episode is going to be a lot of fun. Yes. So where where do you, so where would you recommend somebody like me, I'm going to be all online. Mm-hmm. Where do you recommend I get like the best feed? Is there going to be like a NASA page that I should go to to get, get a live stream or I see yep, you have a NASA TV online link here. That's probably yes. where I want to go, huh? Yep. There, there is a... Uh, Oh, I may not have put it in, but I will try to put it in shortly. Uh, there's a Ustream, too, that they're going to have. Okay. Okay. That's so perfect. That would be perfect. So if you, so if you don't want to go there, you can always go to a, a Ustream also. And that's TV online. Very nice. All right, Heather, any other thoughts on that one? No, I'm just... A little excited. Just a little. Just a little. I mean, I mean me, now. What? Not good? <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's get to the time machine. Come on. Come on. Okay. Come on. All right. Close the door. Close the door. It's closed. All right. Woo. That one tingled. See, that's how you know we're going far back. When it tingles, that means we're going far back. And uh, our destination this week takes us to 238 years ago, August 1st, 1774. Yes. A uh, chemist and Presbyterian minister uh, identified a gas, which he called, this is going to take me a minute to say it, deflogisticated air. <laughs> Deflogisticated? Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Rolls off the tongue. Of course. Like, easy. Actually, it's oxygen, which is tightly easier oh, to say. That is much easier to say. <laughs> yeah. But what he did is he found that um, he took some mercury, he heated it in air, and it became coated in this red rust. So, so you know, if you have the iron or anything, it coats in this rust. So then you take it away. And you then heat it again, and it sort of releases that. You're oxygenating the the surface, hmm. which is creating the rust. And then if you take that, you can actually kick off the oxygen from that. And so he was able to take that um, oxygen that sort of came off. And he was looking at that. He put some candles in there. Whoa, they burn really brightly because oxygen burns really well. Oh, yeah. And so he was saying, ha, there's this. I'm going 
And then he used a poor little mouse, sealed it into a vessel with it, oh. and he could. But the little mouse could breathe a lot longer than in normal air, because oh. it's all oxygen. Yeah, the now mouse I, probably I, got a good high from it, really. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know what happened at the end of this mouse's life, but it was high for a little while. He got some cheese. Heather, yeah. he got some cheese. That's what happened to him. He got some cheese, and, he, and he's scampered off into the fields. Yeah. Um. So, but it was interesting because all these different things, and they're able to sort of, all these type of things in science where you see this, and you're like, hey, this experiment says this. Cool, there's something here. And then later, you're able to say, aha, oxygenated. Right. Very neat. All right. Well, let me recalibrate the science computer so that okay. way we can look up into the sky this week. That's right. On Wednesday, August the 1st, we're going to have the full moon. And uh, just before dawn, you're going to have uh, Jupiter and Venus. Wow. They're going to be in the east. Uh, uh, about as far as difference as your pinky finger to your pointer finger, if you stretch them out at arm's length. Okay. It's about 14 degrees. Awesome. They're be about that far apart from each other. Um, you know, Jupiter's the brighter. I mean, Venus is the brighter, but Jupiter is the higher of the two. And the cooler. And the cooler, which is why it's the higher. <laughs> yeah, what's up? There you go. So uh, we have a full moon. We have Jupiter and and we have Venus? Uh, yes, we have Venus. And, uh, you know, Mars and Saturn are going to be uh, at dusk in the west to southwest. Um, there's going to be a bright star over there. It is actually Spica. Huh. About three finger widths above that. At about the same brightness is going to be Saturn. Hmm. So, I, I, th- I, have, I have like this feeling like this is one of our best skies we've had in a while, but you seem kind of nonplussed by it. You're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've got like every cool. We've got, we got Saturn going. We've got no, Mars we got, going. We've we got, got a full moon. you got Jupiter. you got Venus. But yeah, you know, that's up. In, it's no bigs. <laughs> no bigs. <laughs> now, when the full moon is out, you're going to have a little bit harder time, you know, uh, seeing some of these things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're interested in the... The Summer Triangle, which is three you know, bright stars. On, on Friday, you'll be able to look uh, straight up after nightfall and see them. There's you know, Vega and Deneb and Altair. You can see in the show notes because it's a little bit more tricky to, to catch those. Hmm. But uh, Oh, and before dawn mm-hmm. this week, um, the bright red star just to the lower right of Venus, that's still the giant red star Betelgeuse. Right. You can see Venus over there. And with, you know, in Jupiter, but the red thing is not Mars, it is actually a star. As as, as it was last week as well. Yep, and so maintains that and maintains that same process. There you go. All right, Heather, well, great show. I believe that's the great end, show. correct? I think so. Wow, well, I'm very excited about next week's episode, everyone. And uh, I encourage you to join us live Tuesday evenings at 7.30 p.m. Pacific over at jblive.tv, or you can catch the audio at jblive.info. And uh, you can grab everything we talked about in the show notes. Links to all of it over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in this week's episode of SciBite. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>